0: You know what, just for comedy reasons, I'm gonna do this. <laughs> I just I, I hardly ever have it at the desk and it's there, right? It's in, it's in within arms. Why not? <laughs> yeah, right. Excellent. Okay, so um Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of let's use the proper title. Ah a video game by Waffling Tails. We totally didn't do that for SEO reasons, but there you go. <laughs> um I am Jay, one of your hosts, and with me as always is Squidgy. I'm gonna get it wrong. I know I'm gonna get it wrong. Hello, Squidgy! Hello, Squidgy! I got it right. Hello, Squidgy! Hello, (laughs) Squidgy! How are you, Squidgy? I'm not too bad. Good, 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 good. Um, Today's episode is a bit of a bonus one um, because we're talking with uh, John and Jason uh, who are working on the uh, the, the lock-on, which we'll get onto in a moment. I believe it's volume one. There may be more volumes. We don't know. We're going to ask him in a moment. But yes, uh, just to throw this out there, you've just listened to, unless we change it during the edit, you've just listened to Among the Stars by Muse Station Productions. I like to put the music credits at the beginning just because there you go. Um,
1: but yes, gentlemen, how are you? Uh, feeling great today. How about you? J- Johnny, feeling great? Are you there? Yeah, I'm,
0: I'm buzzing. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> Excellent
1: been a long week hasn't it Ooh. since uh, we started on yeah
0: been a long few months <laughs> yeah oh yeah yeah excellent excellent so um uh john uh, jason would you mind giving the listeners a, a, a brief introduction maybe a short elevator picture as to yourselves and then we'll talk about lock on volume one in a moment is that all right
1: that's brilliant yeah sounds great john if you want to go first yeah uh my name's john uh i am a graphic
2: designer uh i'm also the uh the owner of Lost in Cult, which is a new indie publisher, uh, which hopefully you'll be seeing a lot about over the coming years. Um, I'm also the uh, creative editor of Ninty Media, who do the Switch Player magazine and Ninty Fresh. So you've probably seen those. And if you haven't, check them out. Um, And obviously, we've just started the Lock On Journal.
1: Awesome. Sweet. Yeah, and uh, I'm Jason Madison, um, also known as Play Sushi UK on uh, Twitter. Um, I'm creative editor on Lock On, um, and with Lost in Court. Um I'm a graphic designer myself as well. Um, I also teach um, a little bit of graphic design in my normal day job, and I'm a lifelong gamer. Um, and I also studied uh, computer games production at the uh, University of Lincoln many, many years ago. Um, and yeah, I, I recently uh, joined John on this project last summer, I believe. Um, we made acquaintances um, on Twitter, and um, it's been a really uh, long few months, I must say, like John's uh, just previously mentioned. But um, this week is when we launched the Kickstarter, and um, just really excited for what's to come, basically.
0: Cool, cool. Uh, we'll probably have to chat about it offline, but I feel as though... You may know our mutual friend, the bee. You may not, um, just because you mentioned you did games, uh, production. At a specific university, and he went and did the same degree at the same university. Probably not. Like the chances of it being true are very slim, but maybe we can chat about that another time. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, sure. But shout out to the B because he's a, you know, he's an awesome person. And, you know, we were at school with him and he's,
3: he's really cool. But okay. I I was at school with him, you wasn't. I had to put up with him.
0: I mean, I was (laughs) at the same school just in a later year. That's all. I mean, you're in the same building, right? That's how that works. Anyway, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about, um, lost in cult then just real quick uh if Absolutely. that's all right just so yeah, then we can viral. get an idea of like the publishing sort of thing so yeah, what, of what what is it, is it physical media publishing is it a website public what are, yeah, what are we so talking about
2: here? the dream was i mean i set lost to cult up in 2017 uh, and i kept getting personal delays and then about uh about a year ago we thought i started doing a lot more work for ninty media really got involved in magazines And my love is art. I mean, I love video games, but I really love, you know, creating, designing. Um, So the the whole idea was to take a more design-based approach to make video game products. Um, And I've been looking at, uh, I feel like this is the one industry that could really do with some more tangible, um, well-created physical products. Uh, So we're gonna start with books. Uh, We're starting with the lock-on journal. Uh, We've got plans for other products. Uh, we're hoping to expand in the future to um, other mediums. Let's just say, let's just say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Lockon is, uh, is our first product, and it basically encapsulates our entire ethos, really, which is design, art, preservation, uh, and telling great stories about video games.
0: Mm. That's cool. Uh, I, I do. I, I do like. Um, Studying, I mean, I'm, I'm not a designer. I'm terrible. I'm, I, you know, you asked me to draw something. I'm going to draw your stick figure. but, um, I do love studying the design of stuff. There's this wonderful book that I come back to and it's helped me throughout my dev career and it's called The Design of Everyday Things. And it talks about like, why is the handle on a kettle the opposite side to the funnel? Right. Because if it wasn't, you'd get hot water on yourself. It sounds mm-hmm. really stupid, but you know, and, and, and other uh, podcasts that I listen to like 99% invisible, which is literally about the design of everyday things. And it is just hearing these, these discussions where obviously everything around you has been designed by someone, right? Mm-hmm. And probably a committee of people, but like most people don't realize and just learning more about that that sort of design first approach to uh, products is, is, is wonderful. And I I know, John, we were talking before we went live that you have a background in um, accessibility as well, making things, you know, making sure that things are accessible to, to people. And design is one of the best ways to do that. If you can, if you could design something that, uh, let's, let's talk about a page, right? Web page, document page, whatever. That is, uh, has a high enough contrast ratio and, um, has, I mean, I'm talking from web development, right? Has a high enough contrast ratio and uses an easy to discern font, you know, that kind of thing. You, you end up with a wonderful thing that everyone can access, right? So- and then if you, if you design it such that, um, you're conscious of things like culture, like left to right culture, right to left culture or culture within the language, then you can easily just swap parts out and it just, it just flows naturally and beautifully, right?
1: Absolutely. I can totally agree with that. Uh, if you don't mind me saying, um, so I I teach uh, and train staff in using Photoshop in design and uh, you know WordPress and other forms of website. Uh, content at my workplace and what's always important to get across is accessibility, you know, in terms of like, you know, how you use colours to complement each other, you know, the size of text, positioning of graphics on the screen to make things as streamlined and easy to uh, read and see um, as possible. So I totally get those sentiments there. And it's just great that there's people out there that are so focused on doing this sort of stuff. And that's what, as well, we're also about here at Lost in Cult, Cult. yeah.
0: Excellent. Okay, so uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, Lock On then, uh, because I know it as Lock On Volume One. Uh, I do know there's a Kickstarter out there, but uh, what's the, again, we were talking off there about it being a passion project, right? But what, let's Elevator Pitch Me, Lock On right? Okay. What's What's great about it? What's Why should I rush out and buy it, even though it's not out yet?
2: <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Lock On, we wanted to go away from the more magazine format. We wanted to go a bit more long form. Uh, we wanted Lock On to tell the stories behind video games. And that every piece inside is a personal reflection by the writer or the artist. Um, so you wouldn't see any, for example, like top 10s or upcoming games and you know regular seo based articles that you would see on the internet we've we've got such a broad range and we're basically give we we started accepting pitches last year and every story that we felt was from a writer's heart we accepted um so we've you know and some of these people they told us that they had no luck online because websites were only interested in like seo based pitches that would get them um, you know uh, clicks etc and they said nobody would pick this up so we we made a point of hiring uh, writers that believed of our ethos um every every story inside you'll see uh, will be that writer's personal reflection his opinions his passions so that way we we kind of stay away from you know fanboyism warring we just want to hear why people love games by the people that love them uh, and the stories that games tell i mean games have got so many of us through difficult spots in our lives uh, games are a powerful medium for good in my opinion mm-hmm. uh, i believe gaming is an art form and i believe it is exceptionally important that we preserve those aspects of gaming and lock on for me was a way that i could i had so many visions of how i could put it together and in the end this vision of a collective based content contribution so getting all these different writers involved like there's an argument we could write it ourselves but i would rather get people that are passionate into one place and also pay them for doing so so many people are paid with exposure and artists are paid in a pittance for their work and it's Mm. really important to us that these people receive you know you know correct funding that we can give them a platform that people can see their work so you can go from somebody that's has these incredible stories to tell that couldn't get a platform to we will allow them to be in print and preserved forever you know um in terms of like we mentioned accessibility a minute ago i mean there's a there's an option we could have we could have shied away from doing digital, but we we want this accessible to as many people as possible. We realise that there are obligations with uh, postage costs. Uh, we so we've done a digital version. Uh, we will exp- you know in the future we will keep expanding on that. We want as many people to see these stories as possible. And unfortunately, a website nowadays is just not feasible for what we're doing. Uh, to get the audience and to get the you know you'd have to involve advertising you'd have to maybe involve various other means and we would have to start going towards like click-based journalism and I don't want to do that I want to tell people a story I want this to be a love letter to gaming Um, and the best way for us to do that was to make a journal that can tell all these Mm -hmm. stories in one place I mean the the costs involved here are like are to pay people fairly uh, to get this produced and to, so i mean we've got over 15 artists from around the world involved uh the same in you know in text form and all of these people are, are coming together to make this incredible product and tell their you know their personal stories and i feel like that couldn't work on the world wide web in the form mm. that this will hear you know you're just going to have story after story after story and we want people to come away from this and be fascinated be interested be entertained be horrified even i mean we have an article yeah. which is about how final fantasy 7 compares to modern day climate change and eco um, events that threaten the very fabric of our world i mean but mm-hmm. then there's also love letters in there to games of past you know from the playstation one uh, and every we wouldn't do this if it, a was not viable for our content creators and b we couldn't you know we couldn't tell a different story you know we couldn't show people. That this beautiful side of gaming and that's what it's
1: about for us mm. you know if you don't mind me adding in john uh, going back to a point as why should you go and rush out and buy a lock on or back us um so when me and john got together last year uh, when this was just an idea obviously that john's been working on uh, before i came along um i felt that we need to keep asking ourselves what why would we go out and buy a lock on that, you know uh, we wanted this to be something that we would want to buy and what i mean by that is um so i haven't really bought magazines for years you know um and i used to back in the 90s you know especially um opm uh and edge and uh but i do love buying art books and also books full of stories uh, one that always comes back to me is a um, read-only memories uh, final fantasy 7 uh, development book because i love Reading the obscure stories as to how those games came about and all the different intricacies that the the people went through, the personal journeys, and also uh, you know other people's reflections of their experiences of playing those games, and I feel like on for us is that you know we want to get people who are passionate about those games but want to. Uh, you know, express their philosophies and different takes on the aspects of those games, but also capture and immortalise um, gaming history and also different thoughts that you may also be able to relate to. Uh, so um, you may have seen on the Kickstarter that we're doing an extensive uh, look at the PS1, uh, a console familiar to many of us, you know, uh, not only just looking at technical aspects of that console, but also uh, looking at it from a, you know a psychology perspective. Um, you know, just charting a typical person's experience of having that console as a child, and then growing up. You know, with games like Final Fantasy VII, Metal Gear Solid. You know, games that transcended time, but also birthed uh, new franchises. And progress certain genres you know going from 2d to 3d it was it was just transformative especially for young kids who Mm. you know got involved with the ps1 and i believe that's the the essence of lock on you know and as well it's also a platform for you know writers and also established developers and influencers just to share those more deeper and thought-provoking thoughts about gaming and we just want this to be something that is really going to resonate with the gaming community. And um, hopefully we can get the word out there a bit more over the coming weeks and months. Mm.
2: Can I, Mm. can I just add with the, with the PlayStation one section, um, you, you can go out and you can buy several books about the PlayStation one and its history. Okay. So there are plenty of very well-made books out there, which will tell you all the, the innermost details about the PlayStation one. They will reveal every game that was ever released and every date and, we didn't want to do that. So like each of our PlayStation one, like we're taking a look at the PlayStation one, but each of our content creators has come up with a very unique pitch. I want you to come into this book and not expect what you're about to read. So we want to take a very different look. And like I said, by giving the artists the creative ability to write whatever they want, um, we've got some very varied pitches. Like Jason just said, you've got one reflecting on growing up and how your life And with that console, you know, Sony, uh, sorry, many years ago, Sony did uh, an advertising campaign and we've kind of got a focus on that. Uh, We've done an article and it's literally reflecting on growing up with the consoles and how all of your life around you and how, you know, your personal turmoil, etc. But how those consoles kind of held you together and like you grew up with them. I mean, uh, some of the other contributions in the PlayStation section, we have like these uh, retrospectives to games we loved. Uh, which is very important that we get across that people talk about what's passionate to them. But then we've also got articles that really vary. I mean, we got my life in gaming involved um, and they've got a fabulous tech piece, which will help gamers. And then we've got uh, like uh, mystic Ryan involved. I mean, there's, and he's doing a really personal pitch Adam Korolik's doing uh, on the Nintendo PlayStation obviously as you might be aware that he was one of the first people to play it and you know and he has a very personal story there and when i was speaking to adam he said oh just copy you know we we could just copy down the facts so if i said adam i don't want facts i want your story with the console i want your personal story you know we you know don't feel like we just need to read off a spreadsheet of what it was everyone knows what the nintendo playstation was by now i would hope i want your story with the nintendo playstation lock on
1: is about the stories Mm. and it's about being from the heart as well you know being raw emotional gritty you know being truthful uh, and that's you know and we all want we want that to all like just basically give off this impression that you know it's it's about a burning passion and that's what is so key about Lockon. Yeah, yeah,
0: I like that. I mean, uh, to to touch on something that you both said there, like uh, if I wanted to read. A book about the PlayStation. If I wanted to read about the technical specifications and the history of how it was put together, sure. yeah, I could go buy a book that was written by people who are certainly, from my perspective, better at writing than I am, and they've gone and interviewed people that were involved. Or maybe I could just go to Wikipedia, and it will tell me the basics. Right? Why? Why would I want to regurgitate that? But. I don't. I want to hear about, um, you know, we've, you've got uh, a whole bunch of people that you name drop there. You've got um, Alex, Alex O'Neill, who's yep. done, who's yes. recently releasing a book about Resident Evil. I'm going to assume, uh, maybe maybe you can talk about it. I don't know. Maybe there's something about Resident Evil in there. You've got uh, Andrew Dickinson, friend of the show. We've had him on five times by the time this comes out. Um, uh, and he's clamoring to come on more. Um, <laughs> but I don't know what he's going to be writing about, but he's creating something as well. And it's yeah. these people, like you say, sharing those stories. Because like I say, I, I could go on wikipedia and read up about resident evil or i could go and read the abandoned script that georgia romero wrote or you know all that kind of stuff and i'll get an idea of like almost like the clinical here is the product here's the thing but actually i want to hear about
3: um people behind the controller playing it exactly Exactly. sure Sure. that's that's it spot
2: on i mean that's what that's what we went with like you said like we got andrew involved and i said to andrew in the beginning i said i want you involved um what PlayStation game would you love to talk about? He told me we agreed on silent Hill and Andrew is now going to write his personal account of why he loves silent Hill. We spoke to Alex who's who better in the world to talk to about resident evil than Alex. Yeah, Alex definitely. is going to do our resident evil retrospective, which will look at why the res- original game defined itself, why it was so important. You know, that these retrospectives are like passionately allow the people to talk passionately. We got, um, jaw muncher who by now is a meme on the internet about his love of dino crisis (laughs) i went straight to him (laughs) him and said i want a dino crisis piece there is no one in the world better than you and you know i could have gone you know like you said we could have gone and got developers we could have gone and got people but i don't want to know about the, the the innermost code or why you press that disc i want to know about the personal stories behind the gamers
1: There
0: is, um, I'm getting shades of, there's a book by, um, uh, I forget the, the guy's proper name, but Movie Bob. you know, uh, he released a book a number of years ago about he was moving house and found his old SNES and Super Mario World, and in the process of buying a new house and moving, he played through one level a day and wrote about how like what he was going through that day and um the journey, like looking back on the very first time he played that level mm. and like how he his life had changed from when he was 8 to being in his you know mid 30s and the whole journey of moving house and there was a real passion that came through from that and that's that's the kind of stuff that I really love to to read about is like mm. let's talk about Uh, Let's talk about the very first time that someone dropped in Final Fantasy VII. I mean, we talked about it a little bit off air. I don't know whether you could talk about it uh, being in the book, but you drop in Final Fantasy VII. Uh, There was something that I said to uh, Lulu, one of our previous, uh, one of our close friends, a previous guest, when we were talking about the very first time we talked about Final Fantasy VII Remake before it came out. And I'd said, when that first plate comes down in the original game, and it's played as, it is an emotional scene. And I'm actually getting the, the, the goosebumps now yeah, when I'm, I'm thinking about off. it, right? So am I. Just, <laughs> just the part that I'm thinking about, not the whole scene, right? The, it, you see a video and the plates coming down and sort of in the foreground, there's a TV on and a newsreader talking away. And then it cuts to static just as he's holding his hands up. And like that brings that whole story, just that one second of video footage brings you see squidge is doing it Uh, but it brings (laughs) that story to life you know these eco warriors have gone and taken out a a reactor which has dropped the plate but millions of people have died right and it's just like when you're first playing it when you're eight or nine you don't really realize it's just a video of a plate coming down and then you you hit your 20s and 30s and you're like Wow, okay, so they're, yeah. they're sticking it to the man. This is a cyberpunk adventure. You're sticking it to the man. That's what cyberpunk is about, not about augmentations, but you're sticking it to the man. But also the cost of that. Mm. Yeah. All these people Definitely. have died. You know? nuance,
2: or like, yeah. wants yeah. a Final Fantasy Seven? is just, it, I mean, the story, like with our article, we've also taken that approach um, that, you know, you're, you're supporting Avalanche, but like Avalanche are killing people as well and that's mm-hmm. what the that's what the final fantasy 7 remake did so well was it showed that personal effect of their actions and yeah. that was my just to clarify final Fantasy seven was my game of the year last year it brought a tear to my eye uh, it, it was beautiful well. it was, really it was incredible <laughs> and final fantasy 7 yeah. was one of those games it was one of the first games i played as a child it has a very very important place in my heart i remember being very young going into Woolworths. um we bought a, we bought a, we bought the the Final Fantasy VII on the day of release. We had no idea what it was about. I turned it on as a child. I couldn't even, I couldn't even play it because I didn't know the controls. And then what I did for the coming months, I sat down with my dad, and every day we played Final Fantasy VII. And that is one of my most cherished memories. I will never forget that. And it was the same with the original Resident Evil. I was terrified when the zombie in that corridor turned its head. I was, I can't remember, five or six. It shook me. It shook me. Yeah. But it also def- <laughs> it also defined me. And those stories are why I game. I, I'm not, I'm not, I know. And if people know me on Twitter, probably I'm not really one for multiplayer. I like a story. And these stories, I feel, are so important to the medium. Like I said, you, gaming just gave you goosebumps. It brought a tear to your eye. It took mm. your breath away. Yeah. And I want to hear like about the stories of, you know, cuz so many people share those emotions and I feel like that's what uh that's why gaming is so important. And I mean, we want to kind of tell that story as well. I, I just need
3: to ask, that sorry, just really quick. I just need to ask, when you got Final Fantasy 7, did you get a memory card?
2: <laughs> I think we got Cuz I,
3: I I I fell for the trap of I played it for 5 hours. And then realised I didn't so, have a memory card.
2: <laughs> oh no! I've so still that got the first just, section of the game
3: I can yeah. play when my, when my eyes shut because I've did it that many times. <laughs> so I did not have a memory card.
2: I still have the memory cards here with little labels on them. Final Fantasy Seven saves one. And saves two and saves three <laughs> and we saved at different points so we could go back and enjoy the different missions because back then yeah. you didn't have chapter select you kind of just had to play the whole game to get yeah. to that golden saucer <laughs> mm. again didn't you and play those mini games you had yeah. to put like 30 hours in just to get there again so
3: yeah, i just had to ask because i fell for it <laughs> <laughs> didn't have one
1: i'll tell you good sir when you talk about memory cards i remember uh, 2001 i knew my mom was getting me a ps2 for christmas and i started trading in some of my older stuff to get some games ready and uh, she used to go to work on a Saturday and I knew where the PS2 was and I had a Devil May Cry but I didn't have a memory card so um <laughs> I waited for her to go to work and I went into her bedroom I got the PS2 out I set it all up and I completed Devil May Cry straight before she came home got it all packed back up didn't have a memory card completed it got it back in the cupboard I think it I I, I like hearing all these thoughts about us talking about, you know, our collective experience of Final Fantasy VII. And um, it brings me back to a term that I like to use, double life. And I felt like as a kid, you know, I used to get out a lot and play with other kids, but um, I used to spend a lot of my time on the PS1. And obviously I was growing up and when you're going, you know, going from 11 to 12 years old, you know, you're starting to uh, get a sense of a moral compass, you know, your emotional intelligence is growing. Mm. and i felt like final fantasy 7 kind of helped me mature as a person in a way because it made me feel the emotions i never knew i could feel and there was a certain point in the game where the 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 depth of emotion uh, i would never felt before and I, I know you probably know which um, section i'm on about and i won't spoil it for anyone because <laughs> i imagine there's quite a few people that still have yet to play the game but um you know, it's just incredible how that made me feel. And then going back to it, you know, at a much later point of my life, you know, I'm in my 30s now, and, you know, experiencing the game again, but through a different lens, because you've had that life experience now, you know, in the space of a couple of decades, you understand certain facets of the story a lot better. And that's also some of the beauty of video games. You know, they, they help you learn. And I think interactive experience and storytelling is should be a, a part of any child's life. You know, it's just it's just wonderful.
3: Let's uh, let's just hope your mum do not listen to this, or you'd be bubbled for the PS2 playing.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> she'll
3: run it back. Is what she'll do. It's she'll run it back to tomorrow, it. tomorrow at
1: the time of recording. <laughs> <laughs>
0: There's, um, there's something that I think there's, there's two things that you've both touched on there. I'd love to sort of, uh, put my, my own sort of spin on. Um, John, you talked about, um, Final Fantasy VII came out and you played it with your dad, right? And there's that wonderful, there's a wonderful sort of emotional connection there. It's like, hey, Friday afternoon at four o'clock, school's over, dad's home, right? PlayStation, brilliant. And, you know, uh, Squidge and I have that uh, feeling of it with sort of pro wrestling. We did a similar thing. A Saturday morning was always pro wrestling and cartoons with dad, you know what I mean? Um This was back in the early early 90s. But what you reminded me of is, if you haven't seen it, there's a wonderful TV show on Netflix. It's a Japanese live action TV show called Final Fantasy Dad of Light. And it's about a father and a son who become um, estranged from each other. Um, but they still live in the same house because that's how, you know, it's, that's how a lot of people in Japan, uh, live. Um, but, um, so, uh, it cuts back into the past where the father and the son were sitting around, like, you, you literally see them walk down the street, look into, in the first episode, look into the window and go, wow, Final Fantasy III. And they buy, uh, not three, six, but he's three okay. over here, you know, what <laughs> yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. They buy mm-hmm. Final Fantasy six, and they play it together and he <laughs> rushes on from school every day to sit with his dad to play it. And then it cuts to sort of modern day and they've, they've become estranged. But what happens is the dad finds out that the kid is playing Final Fantasy 14, I think, or 15 or it so. One of the, one of the online Final Fantasies 14, think, yeah. online. And he creates an account under an assumed name so you can sort of rekindle that experience of playing the game together and they they sort of grow together but the the biggest problem is that after the first series the guy who played the dad passed away so they can't really do another series but it adds to that sort of emotional aspect to it and there was something you said there Jason about um, the uh, about the the feeling emotions right Uh, there's this wonderful thing that um, Lulu said in one of our earlier episodes how dare you make me feel this way with what you're about to do well, with well, regards to mate- the, the final, F- final fantasy seven remake. Okay. But yeah, you and, you and L- at the time I hadn't, I still haven't played the remake, but, but uh, I listened to the episode anyway, but Squidge and Lulu had this discussion about final fantasy seven remake. How dare you make me feel this way with what you're about to do to her? You know, and, and I won't say who, I won't say yeah, what sure. the situation <laughs> is, but yeah, right. Um, sure. uh, and, and I feel hmm. like, um, I had a similar sort of experience with, uh, with, I remember when Resident Evil 2 came out in the N64, a been ported across. And I, every time it was mentioned in a magazine, I bought the magazine and I had a scrapbook of all of these cutouts of articles. That. Resident Evil 2 is coming to the, to the N64. Oh my goodness. And even to this day, like, I, uh, cause I'm a developer, I go and read the, there's a wonderful retrospective on Gamma Sutra of how the four people who ported it, ported it like four people were involved and they did a phenomenal job yeah,
3: that's great um,
0: but i re- i remember when it when it came out and i, I rushed out and bought it and i was about f- i want to say 13 14 you know and it came out and i sat there and i play, play 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 and i made myself ill playing it because i'd got like i get up at four o'clock in the morning play it until i have to leave for school and then leave for school come home play it some more um, and hybrid heaven yes But the thing about Resident Evil 2 is that it it kind of... I feel like it taught me a little bit about ethics. Like, what are they doing? Like, is it ethical for uh, Umbrella to have just basically released this virus uncontrolled? Is it is it ethical for them to have sent Hunk and his team in to exfiltrate the virus, to allow it to get into the sewers, for then the entire city to get taken over? And then Resident Evil 3 comes out, and like, is it then... Where does the ethical and moral... Uh, boundaries exist where they have to nuke the city to stop the spread that's there's potentially uh, people still alive down there actually just surviving is it ethical and moral to wipe them out to stop the spread of this uh zombification virus like all of these these questions that you don't realize because you're just playing an action survival horror you're around gunning down zombies and then you watch it's the bad. cutscenes and really pay attention and it's like wow and then, you know, you go back to the first one. It's like, is it really right that the, like, there's throwaway lines that you don't really think about when you first play the first Resident Evil. You're reading through the diaries and it's like, yeah, yeah. Um, I've got this, this lump on my shoulder and I don't know where it's come from. But then you realize that's a lab tech and they've infected the lab tech to see how it affects the human body, this virus that they create. And it's like, when you, when you're able to abstract away from that and think, actually, What's actually going on is pretty bloody shocking. It's terrible. Mm. And, and I think that, uh, like you were saying there, Jason, uh, a lot of people, it's important to have this sort of interactive storytelling when you're growing up to sort of, um, give you this idea of the, of the, the greater world, right? Because when you're a kid, I want to go play football. I want to run and climb a tree. I want to go and play Mario. <laughs> well, yeah, well, Mario yes. may not teach you much, mm. but,
1: yeah, I, I really get that point. I think, uh, I mean, I was playing these games way before the actual BBC uh, BBFC. I can't get my words up. Well, I was too young to play them at the time, I th- but i think um,
3: we all wear certain titles. Yeah, <laughs> Resident Evil being
1: one. I mean, <laughs> Resident Evil Two, especially. Uh, I I remember playing the first one completely, and when you look at the world when you're playing it, everything's black and white in many ways when you're at that age, but when you're older, the world's more gray, you have, you have a better understanding. So that's when you become conscious of, you know, the, the story elements that uh, like you've just touched upon, you know, um, why are they doing this? Oh, this is really bad. You know, the moral consequences of this and that, you know, on the world and the, the people, whereas playing it as a young kid, it's just basically good versus evil in your head. Mm. And, um, Going back to you know, playing with uh, your games with a father, um, this might be a bit deep, but uh, my own dad abandoned me for two years when I you know I got a, at the time I first played the PS1 and I didn't really have him in my life that much. So um, a lot of the memories I've got with the PS1 are actually playing those games after school with other kids because I was the only kid in my class to get Resident Evil 2 because I made my mum go out and buy me it. And so every day, I used to have different kids, and I, this is God's honest truth. Come round my house with the curtains closed to watch me play through it, and yeah. they absolutely loved it. And I, I think there's moments are like those that we can't really have in today's climate, or more so recently. Um, and I think I was kind of lost in the, in a way. I, I let you know I've experienced online multiplayer, and I've got out of that habit now. But um, mm. it's just moments back in that time before the internet. And that was, they're my most cherished memories, you know, sharing those experiences with my friends. And I hope uh, some, pe- some people reading this book of ours are going to be able to resonate and then relate to those experiences and and find that touches them in a certain way or allows them to relive their own memories of those games. So that's also another point of what Lock-On's about, I reckon.
3: I've got um, really specific memories of, especially with Final Fantasy VII Remake, but um, with games that I've got a really rich deep narrative like um horizon dawn or god of war 4 especially the most recent ones if you take the gameplay side um i always have like there's either me or one or two friends that play through the game at the same time so we've got something to talk about it's like a shared experience we might not be in the same house but we can talk about it and what have you. but going back to like final fantasy 7 remake we 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 did two separate um series of of episodes about it one where i was so far through and then one when i finished now the one where i finished this guy didn't actually join in apart from the beginning part because he wants to play it. He still hasn't played it. He hasn't got a PS4. Mm-hmm. And I remember specifically, especially because I edit them, I was talking to Lulu and she kept saying, I can't say anything. It's so far in. I've already completed it. I can't say anything. And it was, it was, for me, it was funny because I was just saying, I reckon it's this. And she's going, mm, I can't say it. But then I remember p- specifically, there's a line uh, that I said in the, um, I think it was the, the second episode because it was split into two or three of when we were talking about like ending theories because there's all sorts of stuff about it. And I went really serious for a second and I just said, I've got to ask you, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you <laughs> warn me? And she said, because you had to experience it for yourself. I wasn't going to say out. And I said, now I understand why you were going, oh, I can't stay out for certain parts. I said, why didn't you tell me? <laughs> Almost mad at her, you know, why didn't you warn me? The game is about feels. How dare you? Why didn't you? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's always something I'll remember because it's the game and the shared experience and people I talk mm. to will love the game as well. So I mean like you said, you can you can read up all like you can read up about the story online, but it's the it's how people go through it, the feelings and the experience, the person behind the pad, you know, who's who's feeling it. That's that's where the intriguing stories come from. Not just oh, this level you can jump here and skip that. No, it's how you approach that battle. Prime example, I'll give you a prime example. Um, When you're in the arena in Final Fantasy VII and you fight the Death House.
1: Yeah. (laughs) yeah.
3: Final Fantasy VII Remake. It is, even in the original, you're supposed to use magic against it because it's a house. You can't beat a house. I did. Um, I I didn't level up Ares at that point. I didn't. I did a lot of grinding with Cloud to get his stuff up, but Ares I didn't. So all of her limit breaks, all of her special attacks, the skills she got from her weapons went up. So she was healing me, and I was battering the hell out of this house <laughs> for twenty five minutes straight, and I eventually did it. But I I just thought, I could go back. I've got a save file before I started this. I could go level her up. But at that point, it was a point of pride with me. I'm going to batter this house into submission. I'm not going to back down. 25 minutes later, caked in sweat. (laughs) I did it, pad down. Oh, save it quick. I'm not doing that again. But Go for a cup of
1: tea. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs)
0: Then before the internet was a real was a real thing, right? The internet was around, but the majority of us maybe not had access to it, didn't have access to it. So when you got to a bit in the game that none of your friends were at, and you were like, "Guys, oh, this is you just oh, trust me, when you bring do this up, bit, up. it's amazing." And then you have those sort of playground discussions, or in uh, yeah. Jason's case, you all pile around his house and sit in a dark room and watch it happen, or whatever. You know, <laughs> it, it, it's that that. It feels like, from what you guys have said, it feels like it sort of taps into that, mm. the uh, lock-on. At least Volume 1. I, we don't know what's going on with Volume 2 yet, if there is a Volume 2. Is it going to be... Let, let's assume that Kickstarter is a complete success and you sell billions of copies of the book, right? Oh, is there a Volume 2? <laughs> <It'd
3: be nice, laughs> <isn't> it nice, <laughs> Yeah, it'd be nice.
2: <laughs> lock-on. So, I mean, provided we can get funding... Uh, Lock on will continue uh, for h- however long it possibly can. Um, I mean, you just touched upon it a minute when you were saying about uh, these memories, etc. I uh, I deeply believe in um, preservation and accessibility, and I know we were just talking about the internet and stuff. And kind of the one of my main ethos is is all these games we're discussing now, every game we've ever played that we love, etc. They will always be available for us to touch upon. Whereas uh, we're starting to see some games adapt to a model that even though they they are you know single player titles they they require the internet to work and what that basically means is one day every single one of those stories is lost forever nobody will ever be able to play them you'll never be able to revisit them and i consider that a very throwaway you know like model uh i believe that gaming is is an art and it it needs to be uh preserved and it kind of we've we've put aspects of that in lock on i mean these stories are very personal i mean we're probably going to in any, we will, probably won't cover in any volume any title that is uh possible to be lost if that makes sense i mean any game that forces an online connection etc we're going to shy away from covering i mean we kind of want to cover the, the the titles that we will always be able to revisit in the future and we thought about the content we wanted the content to be in such a way that in the future when you looked at it uh, it didn't age uh, you could look at it now in 20 years time and you could uh, you could think oh wow well, i'm gonna go and put that game in my console now dust yeah. off the playstation 5 put that into my console and revisit it and that's why i believe gaming is so important because in in 20 years time if we if heaven forbid if in 2013 the uh microsoft had done the xbox One always online we would be in a position where in 20 years time no game released this gen on that system would ever be playable again and i mean that's mm. terrifying terrifies me that like, deeply to my core uh, and that's why i care i don't care about platforms i care about games i care about accessibility and yeah. the preservation of them offline uh, and lock on is a way of us kind of preserving this medium as well like mm. uh, uh, we're preserving people's stories uh, and we would like to continue i mean i am already planning volume two uh, regardless of what happens here i mean mm-hmm. i've got ideas i've already spoke uh, i've already spoke about pitches um i've already come up with ideas myself uh and obviously now we're focused on playstation uh that was because a lot of us have a keen link there uh but we will not just be focusing on playstation this is a gaming journal uh so we'll be looking at the the stories of you know independent development industry uh, various systems retro you know games people love we've got ideas to cover all sorts basically uh and I, I feel like each each issue has something for everyone i mean in this issue we have an article on Hades i mean Hades isn't even on PlayStation uh and it's all about how uh the game has redefined the indie genre and it's now the new aa standard uh and how from this point onward indies are going to they're not going to be looked at like that small you know uh, little system i mean they're game of the years they are they they mm. they're the future of single player games i mean most of the industry uh, with regards um to single player i mean i know playstation and nintendo do focus heavily on that but nearly every other company doesn't they're all going towards live service ditching stories in replace for you know shooters etc and i feel like it's important to focus on you know the single player aspect i mean i presume a lot of people are at least i am in it for the stories and that you know that's kind of linked to these Same. so yeah it's going to continue <laughs> i mean that's the plan anyway we'll, we'll do this as long as we feasibly can um and we'll keep getting creators in to tell their stories for as long as possible the challenge really is just building the audience initially uh, yeah. we know that we have a great product i mean we we would have obviously gone and shown people and spoke to them and got their opinions before we and we understand that the you know what's going on with print media i mean we're, like every other physical industry what you're seeing is a decline in the consumer aspect of it and and an increase in the enthusiast aspect so magazines as a something you pull up on the shelf and you read about what games are coming soon etc are dying print media is dying because of the internet but books are growing i mean you're seeing a resurgence of independent magazines i mean i've recently bought several magazines one of them was about um fermentation i mean i buy the most random magazines i know nothing about <laughs> just so i can learn like I've, I, I, magazines that I would never normally read, I, I order them, and because they're all emerging. I mean, there was art many years ago when uh, what we call the publishing wars, when Kindle came around, um, the, the the book industry was absolutely decimated. I mean, it got to the point of collapse, and then out of nowhere, the the it flipped the script, swip, uh, switched around, and people started going back towards tangibility, towards stories, moving away from Kindles and. The good thing of that was that by killing off the publishers, it opened up an entire new industry, which allowed anyone to publish their stories, and that is why we now have. Back in the day, we would have had to go to a publisher who would have scrutinized every word and said, "Oh, this hasn't got enough adverts in it. This hasn't," and they wouldn't have printed it. Oh, we have a minimum production of ten million copies. Blah blah blah. Now we can self-publish. We can, you know, we can tell these stories for a, a, a realistic cost. I mean, our Kickstarter, for example. Um, that is our break-even point. That will fund the content creators and the production. That there is no room in there for us to, you know, to make money. If that makes sense. So yeah. th- we're doing this for the love of it. Uh, we're not. We you know we're not some big publisher that's only doing this so we can, you know, get sales. If that makes sense. You know, we, mm. we've we've got a team of people that are passionate. And if they're not passionate, we haven't involved them. Um, you know, everyone on here believes in the ethos and the journey you know, and that journey is telling stories.
1: And each of those stories is always going to be complemented by some lovingly crafted artwork by, you know, the many artists that we've asked to get on board. Um, so it, it's going to be something we aim f- for people to have in their collections to sit proudly on their shelf and to refer to time and time again. So, uh, yeah, we're really looking forward to getting this in people's hands um, Really are.
2: I've seen some of the artwork already that I, I pre I prepaid for a fair bit of this, like, uh, so just to have it ready. I mean, Alessio who did our cover, I mean, like to talk about our cover for a second, that is both of our covers have been hand painted in oil, uh, and then photographed and then edited. I mean, he spent countless hours helping us to make this possible. I mean, some of the artists involved have already submitted their work to me because they're so excited. I asked them not to start and they they were like I know you told us not to start but <laughs> an artist came like I, look, I, I, I've i dealt with design for many years now I work for you know I do all kinds of design for different companies fashion labels all sorts and it's I know how annoying it is to be told by a committee of people oh no change this oh no change this oh no change this and when I first got involved a, a few years ago with uh, Switch Player I was at a point in my life where like I had no, I was losing my enjoyment in most things. And I said to my partner, I said, I really want to get back involved in illustration. You know, I mean, when I was at school, I I absolutely loved artwork and I used to whittle away the hours, just drawing shadow the Colossus artwork all over my textbooks and getting terrible GCSE grades uh, for lack of attention. (laughs) But I mean, I loved games. I mean, I've always had, uh, I think the expression is uh, like an overactive imagination, like to the point where it, it made schooling a nightmare for me and probably for you know my nan and my teachers you know like <laughs> burning down my nan's house for not being you know, like unfocused <laughs> and i was scatsy. but games were my you know they were my escape i could put a game in i could play it and it would keep my attention occupied and mm. my head would i could not silence the voice you know the, the the stories go around in my head it was so passionate and then i you know i put pen to paper i started drawing i mean everyone always used to say like one day you're going to be a designer and stuff and then i kind of I don't know where I I got to a point in my life and I kind of switched all that off. And I went in a completely different path. I got involved in uh, video game sales and analytics uh, because I figured I liked video games and slowly over time, I then ended up getting involved in like telecoms and like you kind of, you lose sight of what you love. And I I remember for a while, I was doing buying for blockbuster dealing with big brands. And then I went from that to running like a really successful independent video game chain to then I, I went to, do, to, like I said, to do this telecom insurance. I would do like f- f- financial conduct authority and stuff. And like, I started to really lose interest in all these things. Then I thought, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get involved in design, photography, etc. Do And we ended up getting involved with fashion labels. And then it came to a point a few years ago, I said, do you know what? I want to do some artwork. So I reached out to Paul from Switch Player and said, any chance you'd be looking for some artwork? And I hadn't drawn in years. I'd kind of just, uh, I'd abandoned it. And then he, mm. he gave me a chance. And then obviously once he saw my passion, he uh, he offered me the position of creative editor, and by doing the covers, I mean that really allowed me to. I started going out and reaching out to artists, and and then I I allowed them like quite a lot of freedom. Like I mean, I would pitch them ideas, but I would I would see how excited they got with the ideas, and then I thought, Do you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna really mix this up, and like some of our recent covers, I mean, have been pretty wild. I mean, we uh, one of our recent covers we've just designed for the 50th issue. I mean when i was incepting that I, I wanted to do something completely different and take like a design first approach so with lock on i wanted to bring that ethos along that i want to go to an artist like i would myself and just tell them i give you complete creative freedom to do whatever you believe suits this title and that is what i've done uh, and they're jumping with excitement i mean i'm not and i remember one of them said to me okay how many key characters do you need in the frame and stuff i said i don't care they were like pardon? And I, said, <laughs> I said, "Do whatever you want." They were like, "Really?" I was just like, oh, "Anything?" <laughs> I said, "Anything you want. Yeah, you know, complete freedom." I want to see what you because I believe if you give someone a spark of passion, they should be able to present that in their unfiltered form. And I know when I'm doing sure. a project, I like to, um, I like to go, and uh, you know, cr- commission these um, this artwork and just say to them, you know, I want these ideas. Go, you know go wild with it and that's what i want to be told i want to be told go wild and you know you're dealing with all these labels and they, they're basically telling you oh no we want this change this change this change this change but i just that was that that was our ethos and i think we've uh we've come together really well some of the artwork is absolutely exceptional
1: yeah i've had a similar trajectory uh to john in his life i think that's why we get on so well as a team uh you know we've got the same passions and similar ethoses i've only just started drawing again recently and um I've done a lot of stuff in my job for the past few years where I I assemble booklets, brochures, and all that sort of stuff. So, this is the biggest project I've ever been on. And that John here, bless him, has given me this opportunity to um, really push myself in my own career. And uh, we're just hoping that uh, some of the stuff that comes from people working on this will also help elevate their own portfolios as well so we, we want to be a platform that will cultivate and you know create talent and ex- expose talent basically and that um, uh, that's what we hope we can really do well and this is going to be a very minimalist looking uh, publication but with text that you know sparks the imagination uh reignites memories and uh tell stories and always been complemented by some really beautiful handcrafted artwork that's been painstakingly made, especially for us. So, that you know, there's going to be a high attention to detail and quality with each volume, as long as we get to create uh, multiple volumes and more in the future.
2: <laughs> we, we feel that, like, Lost in Cult in itself will give us... It won't just... I mean, Lock On is our maiden project, but... Lost in Cult will also, uh, which will be revealed soon, will also be uh, distributing products for retailers that have been shut out because of Brexit. Um, So that will allow us to get products to collectors. And Mm -hmm. if anything, that will also allow us to kind of fund lock on to an extent as well, you know, or at least get more content in there. I mean, I would like to expand it so that, you know, uh, we want our original plan. I mean, we had many discussions about, would we do a do a magazine monthly? Would we rather do, you know, all these different plans. And I said, I would rather do something considerable in size, uh, maybe quarterly, uh, to, you know, or three times a year that would capture the, this last few months of content plus a delve back into the past. So really, I mean, that's that's what we would like to do.
1: And that's where the journal came from, wasn't it? You know, uh, because I I come from an academic environment and we have a lot of journals and I put a lot of these together. And a lot of them, you know, are academics talking about subject matter, but each article is so radically different. And with Lock On, we want these to be like really, uh, you know, thought provoking articles that are all different in their own each individual unique way with their own color palettes. You, you, you know, and uh, being something that's encased in a really thick, heavy book, uh, you know, even if that's you know doing it a few times a year or so forth. Cause it did start off as a magazine, but then we want to create yep. something that's more unique, we just kept area, hybrid products. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> and I kept wanting
2: to fit these pictures in. I mean, at the moment, the soft cover is roughly thicker than a PlayStation Four case, uh, <sighs> so it's it's heavy as well. I mean, it's like half a kilogram i mean we just kept adding content and content and content and like i said it's accepted as a magazine and it became a book and i'm a real stickler for quality so i kind of Mm -hmm. i wanted to have like a real nice matte textured paper and we really wanted to go that extra mile to make this really high quality so Mm -hmm. i mean it is heavy we focused on the artwork but also there's so many incredible stories in there quality first approach i mean i've done meticulous planning for like s- several months now I've, I've bought so many reference materials to go through and make sure this is at the utmost quality we didn't want this to be like i said a sh- like a when you would have been in the 90s you would have countless of those very thin paper magazines on the shelf that were kind of just regurgitating the same info all the same you know time we wanted this to basically be a book and we know books are tricky terminology so we used journal really because we figured journal is the best way of you know, kind of like Jason said, it's like academic. It brings across that approach, and there's something for everyone in here. I mean, even if you may not be interested in the, uh, you know, a more long-form article, there's retrospectives and there's all sorts.
0: Mm. Cool. Well, what I'll say, gents? Is uh, I'm just a little bit uh, uh, knowledgeable of the time. That's all. Um, but um, I, I, what I would like to do is maybe for you guys if you're interested to come back on the show a little bit closer to when the Kickstarter ends or maybe after the Kickstarter ends talk about um, a little bit about um, the, the the journey going forward um, and how the Kickstarter goes and and first of all best of luck with it but also maybe uh, to have a little bit more of a, a uh, a more of a, a, a waffling Taylor sort of conversation. Yeah. yeah. What well, yeah. we've been playing Absolutely. recently. Oh, know, if that's
3: okay with you guys. It's, it's, just... it's different from this. It's an experience. Yeah, yeah. I like so, a good yeah, waffle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. oh, fantastic. Oh. <laughs> good,
0: good. We're always good. We're always on the lookout for people who can waffle on. That's good. <laughs> but yeah. Um, so seriously, uh, best of luck with the Kickstarter. Thank What's you. the best way for folks to find out about it? Is it just Google the word Kickstarter and the word lock on or what? Can, yeah. Can they mean, follow you folks? So, What's
2: we were lucky enough that Kickstarter uh, awarded us with projects we love. So they've given us a relatively good exposure. So we now appear on the homepage organically. Uh, and I believe uh, that that will continue for the duration of the campaign. Um, if, if you want to find us, Lost in Cult, which Instagram, Twitter, Facebook is exactly the same tag, uh, and there'll be links on there or our website is www.lostincult.co.uk and that will have a direct link to the product and any future products we make honestly any support that you can offer even if that is a share showing it to a friend showing it to a community that would mean so much to us because it will allow all of this these creators and all of the community we've built to be able to share their stories with the world
3: i can definitely say from my point of view just for just for hearing obviously today from what the the um the stories and the books about and just looking at the artwork. I'm a massive fan of artwork. Mm. I love it. Um, I'm going to be back in it. Oh Thank yeah, you. as soon as we I'm definitely this. going to be back in um, this. It is I'm going to be back it. Myself, it look, yeah. it looks phenomenal. Um, I, it really does. Right Thank you. That, that means a lot to
2: lot us. It <laughs> <laughs> does mean a lot, lot to us. Absolutely.
3: Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's. We're it's really
2: grateful the, for having us on. No, it, no
3: worries. It is definitely going to be one of those things where, um, you know. This, this is like hopeful you know it, the first one's successful i'm wishing you the best of luck but it's going to be like many other things once the first one's successful you pick up traction but then people yeah. will go "Oh, i didn't get in on the first one
2: yeah <laughs> oh, oh, I'm, I'm gonna sorry. make no, sure I... that i yeah i'm gonna make sure yeah. i produce enough uh i mean
3: we, we i, we I definitely want it on some. my shelf behind me Yeah, oh, uh, yeah it's yeah, gonna absolutely. be one of those i want it on the shelf so i can just you know
2: yeah we've um we've the the hardcover is limited to just the kickstarter I mean, we, we were weighing up how to balance the product, and we feel like that is the collector's piece. Uh, we, we are, however, in discussion with retailers around the world to stock the soft cover, provided we can get funding. If we can get funding, we can send samples, they can judge the product. We've also had conversations with video game stockists around the world. We've had conversations with you know, um, magazine book stockists as far away as Japan. So once we this, this will allow us to get this product out. And once the world sees the product, our audience will naturally grow. It's just, you know, how things are when you're first starting out, it's always the hardest taking the first steps. So any help is much appreciated.
3: Cool.
0: Yeah, yeah, well, you, what we'll do is we'll make a point of, uh, I'll, when we go through this, I'll create some show notes, put all the links in there. So if you are listening, uh, press through on your podcatcher player, thinky app, whatever, and there'll be a whole bunch of links to everything we've just discussed. Um, and I'll try and catch up with John and Jason just before it goes live, see if there's anything new we can add. And I'll just uh, I'll link that there. Um, but yeah, thank you, thank you both so much for being on the show, and uh, the very best of luck for this product. Uh, yeah. thank, I, I you. Am, thank you, very much. I, I am hoping to uh, kick, uh, be on the Kickstarter this afternoon and back it myself. Yeah, I it, think man. it's going to be one of the one of the hard uh, one of the the hardback copies of it. I think with all of the <laughs> all the goodies that comes with it. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And you'll get your it's name
1: it. in the back as well. That's the only. You want, there you go then you can, yeah, where you can get your name in the back yeah the back edition <laughs> thanks
0: it. guys yeah yeah no worries no worries uh, yes so definitely check out the kickstarter it sounds to me like it's going to be a wonderful product so definitely do that we'll put all the links in the show notes um but yeah thank you both for being on the show um uh, any any parting thoughts any any last minute uh, things you'd like to say to anyone uh, like, where can people follow you guys if you want people to follow you guys, or would you prefer Lost in Cult? What's the is that is that well, I mean, the way to do it?
2: If you wanna if you wanna hear me waffling away, uh, I'm I'm, <laughs> at, I'm at, at John Doyle Design, and I'm at
1: Play Sushi UK on Twitter.
0: Excellent. Okay. Sweet. Well, <laughs> thank you ever so much, folks, guys, for being on the show, and thank you very much, folks, for listening. In. Um, I think we're about ready to switch to play the, uh, the the ending music, so. Roll that song. Okay. Intro music is Among the Stars by Muse Station Productions. Outro music is I Need You Watashi no Sabate by GH. Spoiler break music is Spectrum Subdiffusion Mix by Phonics. Palette cleanser music is Breathe Deep Breathe Clear by Siobhan Dagay. See the show notes for more details. The Waffling Tailors podcast is a proud member of the J&J Media Network. To find out more about J&J Media, head over to jayandjay.media or check the show notes for a link.